Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. In a situation that uh, people uh, often fear, this certainly is uh, something that many of our listeners know about. Uh, You're sitting in the doctor's office and you hear those words, cancer, you have cancer. I've heard from countless folks who said that they were stunned when they first heard the diagnosis. They were in shock and really just unable to process what their doctor had said after that. But after the initial shock, it really is important to learn about what comes next as you or a loved one. Uh, face complicated decisions about treatment and, and, and care, a proven strategy that helps is to be able to be prepared as possible. Doing your research, having a written list of questions can help you feel more organized and more confident when you're working together with your healthcare team to find the treatment plan that is right for you. On this episode, we're looking at the topic of treatment decision-making to help find clarity and answers to some of your questions. Today, we have the great pleasure of having Margaret Stoffer, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist with us. Margaret has extensive experience working with patients and their loved ones, including those with cancer, diabetes, and other health challenges. Mar- Margaret is the chief mission officer at the Cancer Support Community of San Francisco uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's responsible for managing mission delivery and maintaining the high quality of the Cancer Support Community's comprehensive support services. She develops new program components. She supervises the clinical team and ensures that program services are available and accessible to as many people affected by cancer as possible. And for free, we will add. Uh, Since 2008, Margaret has been providing support to patients through the Cancer Support Community's decision support counseling program called Open to Options. Um, Margaret, we're going to take a deep dive. We've got a lot lot to cover here uh, on the topic of treatment decision-making, so I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Um, Margaret, before we uh, begin and and dive into the topic of of, uh, decision-making, I'd like for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your your clinical background and training and how you got started working with cancer patients, and tell us a little bit more about your work at the Cancer Support Community in San Francisco. Certainly. Um, I became interested in cancer when my mom was diagnosed. Um, I was a young adult. I had just moved out of the house, and all of a sudden, I found out that she had breast cancer. And as I look back, I saw how challenging it was for her at a time when cancer wasn't even talked about. It was often a death sentence, and uh, it was very lonely. There weren't any resources, any support groups, and we really, as a family, didn't know how to help. So when I became a marriage and family therapist, I was drawn to work with people who are facing similar chronic or life-threatening illnesses. And I discovered the wellness community through Gilda Radner's book, It's Always Something. And I just happened to live close to what was then our San Diego affiliate and was fortunate enough to um, get a job there as an outreach coordinator. 
and then moved on to the role of program director and executive director. And when there was an opportunity to move back to the Bay Area in 2001, I was able to uh, transition to being the program director and chief mission officer here. Um, And I can't imagine working at a better place that makes um, such a difference for so many people. Fantastic. Margaret, and we're very, very lucky to have you as such a wonderful program expert in our cancer support community network. So um, just wonderful work, and thank you. Uh, thank you for all that you do to serve patients and families. Um, Margaret, I want to get uh, into this topic of, of, of decision-making, and this is kind of a, a broad question, but you do work with patients and their loved ones every day and have, have for many years. Can you give our listeners a general idea of what a patient recently diagnosed with cancer will be facing in the beginning of their journey? Well, you referenced it earlier. I think, first of all, it's the shock of hearing the word. Um, And when you're in shock, it's really hard to mobilize your resources to learn what you need to know, how to partner with your medical team, and about making some of those complicated decisions. Initially, people might think, well, the doctor's going to tell me to do this and this, and I just have to do it. But in this day and age, sometimes you have to make very complex decisions throughout cancer treatment. On top of this, people are really worried about how are my friends and family going to take the news? Am I going to be able to continue to work or go about my daily life? They're just thrown into a different reality. And really, learning about cancer and cancer treatment becomes their job for a while. Um, and, and it does take a lot of resources to mobilize and to get ready for it. Yeah, that's absolutely, uh, that's absolutely right. And I know that, um, Margaret, I've heard some folks say that, that uh, when you receive a cancer diagnosis, it's like crossing into a, a strange new land where you don't really speak the language. I had one, one patient say it's like I went to the ATM to take out some money and I accidentally hit the Chinese button instead of the English button. Um, you know, so, so in, in, that, in, that beginning, uh, in that beginning piece of that you get that diagnosis, what should patient, patients ask their doctors? What are some of the things... Uh, that they need to know uh, up front. Again, so y- you have cancer. Are, are, should they be asking about the, the kind of cancer, the stage of cancer treatment? Should they be asking about insurance? You know, what's sort of the this kind of the checklist that folks need to think about? Well, definitely um, to get as much information as you can from the doctor about what kind of cancer it is, what stage it is, um, what any of the characteristics of the cancer Um, would be. Um, And then it's really important to ask, how long do they have to think about their diagnosis and making a treatment decision? Some people feel like they have to just jump into it immediately, when often that's not the case. And they have time to do some research. They have time to perhaps get a second opinion um, and really then feel better about making a decision that fits for them. Um, And it's really important to get information from a reputable source. So certainly the doctor, but if they want to go home and and do some research online, to go to a reputable site like cancer.gov or Cancer Support Community or American Cancer Society. Um, Otherwise, they could end up on websites where they're getting um, sold the latest snake oil medicine, and that can Mm -hmm. be really scary and really dangerous. 
Mm. Well, one of the things uh, too, Margaret, I hear sometimes uh, is that folks don't necessarily, when they when they're starting to talk about a treatment plan with their doctor, they don't necessarily understand what the what the goals of, of of the treatment are. Is that an important question? Is that something that patients should really get to? Look, is this treatment, is it expected that I'll be cured? Is this just to help me kind of, you know, manage my symptoms? You know, has my disease spread? Things like that. That's definitely a conversation that's important to have. I do think that it's really difficult for people to ask those questions at the point of initial diagnosis, but yeah. after they have time to gather their thoughts to say, hey, is this something where I can expect um, to go into remission or have a cure, or what does this mean for me? And um, that really is important then in making um, further decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, so we, we, you talked a little bit about uh, really talking with the doctor and also possibility of, of, of a second opinion. It really gets to the to the question of choosing the right healthcare team and making sure you're in the right place to get your uh, to get your care. What are some of the factors that folks should consider when choosing the healthcare team, Margaret, to make sure that they're in the right place? I think you have to have some degree of comfort level with your medical team. You may not want to go to coffee with them, but you want to feel like they're on your side and that um, you really respect uh, what they're uh, recommending for you. It never hurts to um, check out whether or not there's a comprehensive cancer center or teaching hospital in your area. Even if you end up getting your cancer treatment at a community cancer center, um, the teaching hospitals or the community or the comprehensive cancer centers can really help um, perhaps with that second opinion and getting more information. Um, and of course, people are limited by their health care insurance. You know, they can go to some providers and not others. And mm-hmm. so that oftentimes um, is somewhat of a limiting factor. But within that, you can usually find somebody that feels like a good fit for you um, that really is um, a critical member of your health care team and will be there for you throughout. Great, great, great advice. Uh, Margaret, we've got a couple of minutes until our first break here, but um, would you tell our listeners about the Cancer Support Communities Open to Options program? Um, sure. Um, this is a service that's uh, a one-on-one meeting, either in person or on the telephone, and it helps people with cancer develop a personalized list of questions that are prioritized, and it helps them prepare for their upcoming appointment with their medical team. How many times have you gone to the doctor's office and then you forget what questions you really wanted to ask them? So this gives you a list that you can refer to and you can even give that same list to your doctor to help you communicate your concerns and your goals to your physician so that you can mutually decide on a plan that best serves your needs. It's a really empowering process because it helps to reduce that sense of anxiety and distress and feel confident in knowing how to communicate what your questions are and what concerns you have. And that in the long run can really decrease the regret that sometimes people feel around a decision that maybe was hastily made. And um, and so, Margaret, this is a program that the patient does together with one of the counselors 
to help sort of talk through their questions, talk through their priorities, and then create the list, and then you take back to the doctor. You've got it. Yeah. And and just quickly, Margaret, and is this? Um, do you feel like this is kind of a a one time thing, or do you feel like there's some skills building happening with the patient? Do patients sort of use this technique at other decision making points in their cancer journey? I hear that from um, people who've gone through the process. Occasionally, people do come back because they're facing another pivotal point in their treatment, and we go through the process again. But oftentimes, that one visit helps people sort of be able to um, prioritize and compartmentalize where their questions need to go and and what um, answers they need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking with Margaret Stoffer, the Chief Mission Officer of the Cancer Support Community of the Greater San Francisco Bay Area. We're talking about treatment decision-making uh, and, and really decision-making throughout the cancer journey. So many uh, different points where patients do need to make decisions, and we've got a great tool, a great interve- interve- intervention to help patients and families with the decision-making process. We're going to dig in a little bit more uh, on the Open to Options program and uh, some of the priorities around decision-making. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. 
If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb. We're joined by Margaret Stoffer, a licensed in marriage and family therapist. She's a certified trainer of the Cancer Support Community's Open to Options Program, a treatment decision counseling program. Margaret, you explained what Open to Options is uh, before the break. This program was developed right in your hometown uh, of San Francisco with some wonderful uh, collaborators. Can you tell us a little bit more about the history of the program? Sure. Um, Three of our cancer support community affiliates, along with our research and training institute, began working on Open to Options back in 2008, and this was funded by a grant from the Centers for Disease Control. We built on the work of Jeff Belcora at the University of California at San Francisco, and we piloted a study to learn whether question listing is helpful in promoting decision quality. We looked at several factors, including changes in anxiety, distress, a sense of empowerment, and decision satisfaction after people go through the question listing process. And we looked at these measures right before we did open to options, right after the open to options session was complete, and then at 30 days afterwards and 90 days afterwards. And this pilot study was done with people who had blood cancers. And the results really showed that people were significantly less anxious about their upcoming doctor's appointment. They were more positive about the productivity of that appointment, and they felt better about the decision that they made along with their healthcare team. And what was really uh, gratifying, too, was that we were able to replicate these findings when we did a second study with people who had any type of cancer. And the findings were nearly identical in terms of the reduction of their anxiety and their distress, along with an increase in their question-listing confidence. And um, it's really exciting to see that since we've been able to do that research, we've trained our affiliates across the country on this intervention, along with the counselors on Cancer Support Communities Helpline. So it's really accessible to anybody in the U.S. through the helpline. Yeah, terrific, terrific. And yeah, another shout out to our 
our colleague Jeff Belcora at uh, and others at the team at UCSF. It has been a wonderful collaboration and also, I think, wonderful, Margaret, for, to, to be able to demonstrate and really present and publish data to show the effectiveness of this program. It's not just something that we sort of, uh, you know, cooked up in our running. We have some good data to show, as you said, sort of a decrease in anxiety and a decrease in distress and increase in in, in, in confidence in, in one's decision. I mean, these are such important uh, factors as patients walk through the process. Um, so let's so let's get down to brass tacks for a minute, um, Margaret. So somebody walks through the doors of one of our affiliates, one of our cancer support communities, one of our Gildas clubs. They call the helpline, um, which I'm going to give folks that number. It's 888-793-9355. Um, and they, they, it, it seems that they are having a challenge with a decision. A doctor says, look, you can have treatment A or treatment B, or we've heard patients say, you know, you can have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, same kind of clinical data, clinical outcomes. What do you want to do? You know, patients say, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to begin. So we walk, walk in the door. The patient sits down with you, with our other counselors for an open to option session. Talk us through that a little bit. What, what, what can they expect? Well, first of all, um, they're going to be made to feel welcome and comfortable. Um, we will try to give them information about their particular kind of cancer that they can briefly look over before we start the appointment. Um, and then we take about 45 minutes usually to go through the process of creating a list together that includes their questions and their concerns. And we approach it in a really matter-of-fact way. So um, do you have any questions that you've written down or floating around in your head? We look at what they know about their situation. That may not be much of anything or it may be a lot. We look at what treatment options have been suggested, um, what their medical and social network looks like. Do they have a lot of support? Do they not really have much support? Um, we then discuss what their concerns and priorities are. Um, what, what goals do they have for their upcoming appointment? Have they even thought about that? And then we put together that list of questions that they need answers to. Um, it's really, really um, important to have a place to sit with this process. I mean, so often the medical appointments um, are 15, 20 minutes. Um, and the doctor gives you as much time as they can, but it's not necessarily a real relaxed atmosphere. And this um, environment really helps them think through very complicated, very difficult decisions. So you said, Margaret, I think I think that point that you're making is so important. You said that that the open to option session with one of the counselors could be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And so back to that issue of, you know, folks always tell us they feel rushed in the doctor's appointment um, that, you know, the doctors are moving. They're late. They're coming in and out. They have busy schedules. There's a nurse knocking on the door. Hey, you know, your next appointment's here. Um, so just really, I imagine it's very calming the idea that they could be at one of our beautiful centers and just sit down in a calm and reflective way to just make this question list without the rush of that sort of medical environment. Is that, do you think, part of the positive response here? That's a huge part of it. And I think the other part is that what part of what we're doing is reflecting back to them things that they're saying or things that they um, understand that they maybe don't even realize. 
And so that's very empowering to them as well to say, hey, I really do know what I want to ask. I really do understand some things about uh, what kind of cancer I have, and I'm going to be able to uh, face this head on. You know, Margaret, you said something earlier that, that, that stuck in my mind, and I think it's important an important point for us to emphasize. We know that sometimes when folks are diagnosed with cancer, they are panicked, and they feel very compelled to get started with treatment. Just get rid of this cancer. Get it out of me. Um, but you said it's important to ask the doctor, how much time do I really have to make this decision? We know that some cancers are very quickly growing. They want to get you started tomorrow or the next day. But we know with most cancers, you really do have time, as we said, to ask the questions, to get a second opinion. Um, so, so how important could this program be for somebody who just really wants to sort of take the time, ask that question, understand that they have a little bit of time, and then use this as a process for that for decision making? It's really important. Um, and, you know, a lot of people use this when they're going to get a second opinion. Mm. So that maybe they've met with their oncologist already, they've gotten some information, um, but they're still feeling a little bit unsettled. And so they're preparing for a second opinion. Lots of times at, at the teaching hospitals, you're, you've waited a couple of weeks to get in. Um, you may have to wait a couple of hours when you're there before you get seen by the doctor because of all of the things that come up. But then you want that time to be really well utilized and to be able to get all of the information that you're um, needing to get. So this really helps you organize that so succinctly. Um, you know, we get everybody's questions and situation down on one sheet of paper. Yeah. Um, and that's really important so that there's some um, coherence to it that really helps that appointment be effective. Um, and that's critical when you're facing oh. time constraints. Absolutely. Absolutely. Margaret, we've got a couple minutes until our, our next break here, but um, uh, we have a, a registry at the Cancer Support Community, over 12,000 patients in the registry. In a recent uh, survey that we did, we found that 93% of patients report quality of life as one of the most important important factors when uh, you know that they use that they factor into a treatment decision. Um, it, it, it seems to me that a lot of the information that the doctor is going to provide is the clinical data, right? This is the most effective. This is what the, the researchers sh or, or the studies show in terms of effectiveness to treat your cancer. But it seems that maybe the doctor's not going to have such a deep discussion about quality of life or maybe what your preferences are. Is th does this program really get to the heart of some of those quality of life issues and value issues? It absolutely does. And I think that makes it probably one of my favorite parts of the whole question listing session. Um, so the quality of life issue comes out in different ways. Often it's the stage of life that people are at that factor in. So let's say you're a young mom with young kids. You might opt for a really aggressive treatment with a ton of side effects um, and possibly poor quality of life for a period of time if you believe that that cancer treatment is going to help you live as long as possible. But if you're an, a person who's lived a full life, um, you might opt for something that maybe has fewer side effects uh, if you're going to have a good quality of life for as long as you are able to. 
So you need to know that information about effectiveness and possibility of remission and possibility of cure, but you also need to know what is this going to do in terms of your ability to carry out your regular activities, to do the things that you love to do? Um, some, you know, we talk so often about it's not as important how long you live, but it's how well you live. And the open to options session can really get to some of those issues. So, so part of what you're describing, really, it sounds like, you know, your goals in your life should be factoring into your goals of your therapy. Yeah, and that's a little bit scary sometimes for people to think about when they're yeah. in the midst of a, do, a new diagnosis. Yeah. Um, but it, it is important to look at. If you can't mm-hmm. look at, at those bigger goals, maybe to think about, well, what do I want to accomplish in this next visit? What do I really mm-hmm. need to know right now? What do I really mm-hmm. want the doctor to know about me and who I am? And then go Terrific. from there. And go from there. Terrific. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking with Margaret Stoffer about treatment, decision-making, really a critical part of the patient journey. We've got some tools uh, for those who are listening to help with some of that decision-making process. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb. We're talking with Margaret Stauffer of the Cancer Support Community of uh, the greater San Francisco uh, area. They're located in Walnut Creek in the East Bay, um, but have a broad reach in the broader community out there in the San Francisco area. Um, Margaret, we talked about how quality of life uh, is really important to patients, had a good discussion uh, about that before the break. Can you let us know, um, really share what other concerns patients have when they're deciding on their treatment plan? Again, you've done so many of these counseling sessions with patients. What are some of the other themes uh, that, that come up in these conversations? Well, um, certainly financial issues are part of the concern. Um, let's say there are two surgical options and one requi- requires a long recovery and the other a shorter recovery. If you're a person that needs to keep working because you're the sole support of your family, you might opt for that surgery that requires a shorter recovery time if you can get back to work. And maybe you want to ask your doctor, how much am I giving up in terms of how effective one treatment is over the other? Um, Other things might be for a person who's younger, how do these treatments affect my ability to have children later on? A lot of people think about, you know, is whatever treatment I'm selecting going to be disfiguring or lead to long-term side effects that could be really debilitating? Um, so asking the doctor about those things is really important. And one thing that we see a lot is that the whole issue of family factors in a lot. And sometimes it could be that the patient maybe wants to avoid some of the treatment options, but family is pushing them in that direction to try everything to get, you know, all the guns going. So it becomes really complex. Um, How much do you hear what the family wants? Really, this is an open-to-option session for the patient. If the patient wants the family member to um, ask, be able to ask some questions too, we can do that. But this is really for the patient. It's their life. It's what decisions they're making that really fit for them um, and, and take into account their concerns. Yeah, yeah. But the, I think those family pieces are really, really critical and can certainly be very complicated. And sometimes you do have the patient and the family member, uh, you know, really on a different on a different page. Does this does this process or does this counseling help to kind of route the discussion back to the patient and the patient's wishes? Do you sometimes find yourself in complicated situations where you have the family members in there and you just sort of have to guide back to the patient's needs? Yeah, and so that's where the the training in marriage and family therapy comes in handy. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, Margaret, good point. But what we do is really structure the uh, the meeting so that the family member understands that first and foremost, this is the patient's document, um, and it's at the patient's discretion how much they get to interject. I think that... Seeing that the patient is heard, um, the family member um, calms down a little bit too as well, 
and you can still hear the family members' concerns um, and validate those, um, even if it really is the patient's uh, final document. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Margaret, let's let's go a little bit deeper on the the financial issues and the sort of cost of care uh, issues that that uh, that patients are dealing with. We know that more and more a significant number of patients are really struggling with uh, with the finances of of a cancer diagnosis. But I know I know that those issues around money and finances are. Uh, sometimes very difficult for people to talk about. People are very private. Um, do you find sometimes that once the conversation warms up a little bit, those those issues come to the fore a little bit more? Um, are there certain prompts that happen to get those those cost questions uh, on the table? Are patients worried about kind of copay and out of pocket costs? Are they worried about being away from work? You know, what are the what are you seeing in your experience on that? I think the biggest concern for people is not wanting to put their family in a worse financial situation. And so we do talk about um, if they have any concerns in that regard. Um, We are fortunate to have a a really great program called Frankly Speaking About Coping with the Cost of Care. And that booklet has been a great resource. It has a listing of organizations that provide uh, both resources and information about different cost issues, um, whether it's help with co-pays or help um, getting a particular medication covered that may not be covered by their insurance. So there are some resources out there, um, but it's still, as you say, very challenging. What we are finding, at least in our area, is that a lot of the oncology practices do have people that really go to bat for their patients to try to get the treatments covered, um, to help with any insurance issues. Um, So I think that the people need to let their medical team know if they have concerns around that, because they may have some things available that they would never hear about unless you let them know that you have that need. So, Margaret, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that, that financial information, and I think it's important that, obviously, patients and families have tools to get their answers about financial questions. And I, I just also think it's important for our listeners to not shy away from asking medical questions. I mean, I, I, you know, I think in our experience, we certainly know that having a cancer diagnosis more than likely will, will bring some financial burden to people and bring that financial strain. And I think it's important for folks to know that that's a very typical experience and they should not hesitate to, um, to ask questions about money and about, uh, and about finances. So I think that's good, uh, good information, uh, good orientation. So talk to your doctor, talk to the, the team at your practice. Certainly we have that information, frankly speaking, about coping with the cost of care. And in that, as you suggest, there's a whole host of information about other financial resources, assistance with copay, uh, things like that. So, um, so I, think it's, uh, I think it's good advice. Margaret, you shared some best practices about patient provider communication and some of the some of the things that we want to see in those conversations. Um, can you go the opposite, some examples of sort of poor patient provider communication or maybe red flags or, uh, you know, again, how a patient should feel? You said it's good to have a good relationship with your doctor, right? So what are some of the things that patients can think about in that communication? You know, I think the thing I hear the most often from family members is getting so frustrated at patients who are not doing well with their treatment, but when they go in to see their doctor, the doctor asks them how they're doing and they say fine. 
and they mm-hmm. don't tell them what side effects they're having or what issues they're having with treatment. So it's really important to be clear with your doctor when you are having any kind of issue with treatment. They may have something they can do to decrease that side effect, but you're not going to know about it unless you let them know. I think another thing that happens a lot is that we all have different communication styles. So Mm -hmm. some people really want just the facts, ma'am, kind of um, communication. They want all the statistics. They want all the data. They want uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they get frustrated if their physician is not giving them a straight answer. But then you have people on the other end of the spectrum who don't want any kind of statistics about their cancer. They don't want um, any information about prognosis. They just want the doctor to, to give them the bare minimum of the information that they need. Well, how is the doctor supposed to know unless you tell them what you're comfortable with? So one mm-hmm. really good thing about Open to Options is that you can put on that document what your preferred communication style is, that you want either all the information or you just want the, the bare minimum kind of information. I think also it's important for um, folks to understand that everybody's time really is valuable. So going to that appointment prepared every time really helps that process and I think improves the kind of care that you get. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure improves the communication with the doctor and the healthcare team, right? Yeah. Um, Margaret, we've got a couple minutes until our uh, our next break here, but we know that, that clinical trial participation is very low nationwide in cancer. Reports say that only 3 to 5% of, uh, of adult cancer patients participate uh, in a clinical trial. And we certainly know that's how we're really going to advance the science and the medicine to bring uh, newer therapies to market. Do patients ask you about clinical trials in these sessions? Do talk, doctors talk about trials? Sometimes is, is the decision deciding between a standard treatment or a trial? Absolutely. Um, And people do ask about clinical trials, and we actually have a little prompt that we use just because we know that issue is so important. So we're not suggesting that people need to do that, but at least to have that conversation with their doctor and their medical team. And one of the results of the uh, research that we did on open to options was that by doing that little prompt, um, about 50% of the people did end up asking their doctor about whether clinical trials would be an option for them. And then um, about 9% of people actually enrolled in a clinical trial. So that's a larger number than what you were referencing earlier. And so it does seem to make a difference. We also, in a, in a separate um, discussion with people once we finish the open to option session or we take a little break from it, is do some education about clinical trials. We have some good um, booklets that have been uh, prepared by our education team at our national office on what clinical trials are and what to expect from them. People have so many misconceptions. They think they're going to get a placebo um, and no cancer treatment at all if they participate in a clinical trial 
or they think that they must be in the end stage of disease if a clinical trial is being mm-hmm. suggested for them. So all these things are really important to clarify with their medical team and to get the right information. Yeah, terrific advice. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking with Margaret Stoffer about treatment, decision-making, and the Open to Options program. We're going to take a quick break. We have more to discuss with Margaret, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've been talking to Margaret Stauffer, a licensed therapist and chief mission officer of the Cancer Support Community of the San Francisco Bay Area. She's a certified trainer of the Cancer Support Community's Open to Options program, which is a treatment decision counseling uh, program. Margaret, you've been working with patients for a long time. So let's start this segment off by having you share maybe one or two success stories of those who benefited from the Open to Options program. It's always nice to hear a particular story about a, a patient who benefited. Um, there, there are a lot to choose from, but one of the <laughs> ones that comes to mind because it's recent is that um, oftentimes people are just completely freaked out when they come in for the Open to Options session. They can't strain together a sentence um, and because their anxiety level is so high. And so in less than an hour, we can see that same person move to a place of being more calm, 
more able to state what they want and need and what their concerns are. And to see them walking out feeling empowered is incredibly gratifying. One recent example um, is somebody who came to our center because she was expecting a call from our oncologist, and she didn't want to be alone when she got the call. She was hyperventilating, ventilating, mm. and she was really imagining the worst that could happen. We were able to um, just take a few minutes and acknowledge that it was a possibility that she could get the worst news, but there were mm. also other possibilities. And we looked at how she could shift her self-talk and that feeling of of just imagining the very worst to getting herself to a a more centered place. And when she did get some not-so-great news, she was able to deal with it and feel comfortable making a treatment decision that fit for her. Um, And the questions really helped her sort of like a a talisman that she could go back to and get herself in a more centered state so that she could work with her medical team instead of just being freaked out in the situation. Mm, yeah, it's a great, uh, great example of really putting this uh, program into action. Um, we've talked a lot about the, 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 the patient voice here, but um, Margaret, what, what are the doctors and the nurses saying about this program? I could imagine maybe they don't love it. Maybe they think you're treading a little bit too far into their territory. Are you, uh, what kind of response are we getting from the docs on this? Well, I, I appreciate you asking that question because I think it's very important to clarify that we don't give any medical advice. We are not uh, treading on their toes in any way. We're really helping the patient prepare for that appointment with the doctor that's so important. And once I think nurses and doctors understand that, um, then we have gotten some really good feedback from um, them. Uh, One quote I really like is, my patients did not ask more questions, they asked better questions. And Mm -hmm. we were able to get right down to the business of discussing the best options, including a clinical trial. So um, that's what we want to hear. We don't want to be making the lives of our doctors uh, more challenging. Um, We want to be helping them provide the best care they can to their patients. And I, I would imagine, Margaret, as you sort of get down to the process of the, of the list and the and the, and the question the the question listing, that you know maybe it's uh, almost a little bit of a dry run that the patient can do with you, uh, or with the counselor to sort of you know get, yes. get that list boiled down. They can practice. They can feel some confidence going back to their doctor with those questions. Absolutely. You know, we review it with them several times when we're in the session to make sure that we put down the words that they're comfortable with, the questions that they want to make sure they get answered. Um, And then we encourage them to take it with them, to look at it, um, to give a copy to the doctor as soon as they see the doctor so that you're both focused on that question list and you're both talking about the same things. Um, You know, I love the, the physicians in our area and the caring they have for patients, but I am always um, remembering uh, one study that was done, which is how quickly does a doctor interrupt a patient when they're in a meeting together, Mm -hmm. and I think it's something like 17 seconds, Mm -hmm. so 
for the doctor to see, oh, this is what my patient wants to talk about, not these things that I was going to talk to them about. This is mm. where their concerns lie. Um, you know, that's huge. Yeah, really helps to focus that conversation and get to the, the heart of the matter. It's, a, it's just a great a great program and a great intervention. Margaret, unfortunately, we're getting to the end, uh, uh, end of our show. Um, I just would love for you to, again, give our uh, – we talked a lot about a lot of, of things today. We covered a lot of territory, but just help our listeners by really boiling down uh, to a few simple, step, simple, simple steps how they should approach treatment decision-making. They're struggling with a difficult treatment, uh, treatment decision. I know we can help them at the cancer support community, and I'll give our listeners some info on how they can reach us. But uh, just uh, you know, a couple top-line things about approaching that process. Well, um, if you can't get to an open-to-option session, be sure to do a little research on your cancer. Get somebody to um, help you do that research if you feel overwhelmed by it. Write down some questions that you know you have. There are even samples of questions that you can ask your doctor if you want. Um, And then take that list with you when you go um, because you're going to be anxious. You might forget. If you have that list with you, you can refer to it. Outstanding, outstanding, um, Margaret. It's been um, it's been terrific having you um, with us on the show today. I just want to take a minute or two to let folks know about the cancer support community. Um, we've got a lot of great resources for for those who are listening today and for others uh, in your world. So um, I want to let you know first of all that we have uh, almost fifty amazing affiliates around the country, including the one where Margaret is the chief mission officer in San Francisco in the East Bay, but we really do have these wonderful centers all over the country where patients and family members and loved ones can come for free, for support, uh, for education, for programs on nutrition, for programs on uh, exercise, on stress reduction. Uh, this, these programs are free for people with all cancers at any stage of their disease and, and for their family members and loved ones. If you visit us at Cancer Support Community, uh, .org, you will find a list of all of our locations, and you'll also find a host of our educational materials and other resources uh, for patients and families. Uh, Margaret mentioned also that we do have a, um, a helpline uh, that's, again, available to anyone who's touched by cancer, and uh, that helpline is staffed by folks like Margaret who are trained, licensed uh, professionals who are ready to talk to you uh, and your loved ones today. That number is 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five again, eight 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 seven nine three nine three five five. Margaret, just take a quick, uh, just one quick minute to tell folks what they'll find when they walk through the door of a place like your cancer support community. Well, you'll find a a person at the front desk who's a cancer survivor who can talk to you about um, their journey and and help you access what we have available. We've got a library of information. We've got support groups, healthy lifestyle classes, educational workshops, anything that might help you in your cancer journey or your loved one's cancer journey. Terrific. And you'll also find wonderful people like Margaret uh, all over the country ready and able to uh, to help you with a whole host of issues related to your cancer diagnosis. Again, our website is cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, the uh, helpline number is 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. I want to thank Margaret Stoffer for joining us today to help us talk about treatment decision making and the Open to Options program. And that program is available to you uh, at our centers and also through the helpline. So give us a call uh, if we can help with that today. This is frankly speaking about cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Until next time, be well, 
Do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Support